Web 2.0 Innovation Trend Collaboration Software Metadata Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 271 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. First of all, we'd like to thank Colonial Surety Company Bonds and Insurance for bringing you this podcast. Whatever court bond you need, get a quote and purchase online at colonialsurety.com forward slash podcast. And we'd also like to thank ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit ServeNow.com to learn more. And we want to mention that the second edition of our book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, is available on Amazon. Everyone agrees that collaboration is essential in today's world, but now, more than ever before, knowing the right tools will make all the difference. As I like to say at the start of all our 2020 podcasts, what a difference another week or two makes. And the unexpected just keeps rolling on. In our last episode, we discussed the opportunities presented by low-code, no-code approaches to app development. In this episode, we're excited to be interviewing another very special guest as part of our goal of adding regular interview shows to the podcast. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we are thrilled to have as our guest Bob Mesta, president and CEO of the Rewired Group and author of a brand new book, Demand Side Sales. Uh, and as usual, uh, we're going to finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, we are so pleased to have and to welcome Bob Mesta, who describes himself as a founder, maker, innovator, speaker, and now a professor. Not a lot. Not a lot of things there. Maybe most important for fans of this show, Bob is the pioneer of the jobs to be done theory, something that if you listen to this, listen to us enough, we talk about in this podcast nearly every other episode. Bob's brand new book, Demand Side Sales, brings what we think is a really fresh and practical approach to probably the least favorite topic for many <laughs> in the legal profession, which is selling. Uh, yeah. Bob, we want to welcome you to the Kenny Mal Report. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Dennis. Great to be here. So, Bob, from the way that you introduce your book, I think you also originally came to the idea of selling from, I guess I would call a somewhat negative perspective. How did that perspective change and yeah. what maybe led you to write this book? Well, so first of all, I'm an engineer, so I actually hate to sell more than lawyers, right? <laughs> so, so I totally get it. But from my perspective, uh, my second startup, I actually took a role as a head of sales and marketing and taking a very engineering approach to it. I built a process and, you know, kind of figured out the features and benefits and I got the basics down. And, and then I went and started the pitch and I started to, you know, I pitched Home Depot and I ended up pitching Lowe's and these different, but it, it felt like I was just spouting things at people. And like, at some point I had to sell everybody all the time, everything. And so this whole aspect, it made me just feel the only word I could come up with was icky. It was that pit in my stomach going like, okay, when do I turn off? When do I stop selling? When do I like, and then at some point in time, uh, I had a very good colleague who basically said, look, stop, you're, you're psyching yourself out here. What you need to do is help people buy. And I'm like, oh, 
And so the moment that I kind of made that flip to, to a, what I call the demand side, I started to actually realize it's about helping people make progress and how does my product fit into their lives. And so that's basically the premise of the book is that we, you know, the, the, the subtitle, if you will, is stop selling and start helping your customers make progress. And so it's this aspect of understanding where do they want to go? What do they want to do? And how does your product or service help them make that progress? Yeah, I think you started to talk about it there, but let's maybe pull that apart a little bit more just to to, yeah. to get the lay of the land for this discussion. We probably need to talk about the differences between and the distinction between supply side and demi- yeah. demand side selling. Kind of what yeah. the, I think the difference may be obvious to some lawyers, but but for no. those who who don't who think that sales is a skill to be learned, they may it may not be so obvious. Right. So, so I grew up on what I call the supply side, which is I, I work for a company and we produce a product and we then would look at and say, who wants to buy this product? And everything goes through this primary kernel, this primary you know, key of the product or the service and like who needs it. So, you know, uh, I make mattresses. So who needs the, who needs a mattress and how many mattresses can I sell? And everything goes from a mechanical side, from the supply side. But what you realize is when you flip over to the demand side, which is, you know, why do I buy a mattress? When do I buy a mattress? What causes me to say today's the day I need a new mattress? You start to realize that the, the, the supply side actually doesn't even ask those questions. And so you start to realize it's like, you know, when, when, when I'm sleeping in the, lo- the Barker lounger, when I'm actually taking, you know, how many bottles of z do you have before you realize mm, maybe I need a new mattress, right? There's all these other things and it's about sleep and rest. It's not about a mattress. And so what you start to realize is there's context and there's outcome that people have when they want a new mattress. But most of the time we're talking about a language of, you know, hybrid and springs and foam and all these features that actually mean nothing to basically the average consumer. And so part of this is the demand side is, is really looking through the customer's eyes, hearing what they hear, feel what they feel, see what they see, and then understand what's meaningful to them as the outcomes they're seeking, not the product they're seeking. So Bob, this is Dennis, and I, I, I told you before the, the show, I've been a fan for a long time, and yeah. uh, I looked back in uh, some of your early podcasts, 2013, where you kind of went through jobs to be done, and yeah. uh, your interviewing technique of buyers uh, were really yeah. influential on me. So to go back to what you're saying there with the mattresses, kind of, kind of interesting to me, because you talk about we're not buying the mattress, or in the case of legal, the services, we're trying to make some progress in in our life. And if right. you come from the product side, like if you're a mattress store, you're going, yep. well, people need a new mattress. Mattress. I'm going like, the last thing I want to do is, is buy a mattress. If I could get <laughs> like a white noise machine, I, there's like a whole bunch of other things I would exactly. do because I'm focused on, on sleep. So could you kind of dive into like what, what you yeah. do, this, this notion of you're hiring your product or service yep. to make progress in your life? Yeah. The, so the, the, the fundamental premise is that people don't buy things. They hire them to make progress in their life. And, and part of it is that there's a, there's a, and it's caused. It's not random. There is actually no such thing as a, as a random or an impulse purchase. You start to, when you start to dig, so, the first thing is, is I, I actually back in the in the 90s got trained in criminal and intelligence interrogation, and I learned how basically what you know how people lie to themselves about why they buy things. Oh, I bought this because I got a deal. 
Like I bought this car because I got a deal. No, you bought a car for a whole host of reasons. And it's not just the fact that you got a deal. And so part of it is to understand what, what's the process you go through? How do you actually come to the conclusion? And how do you decide today's the day I need a new mattress or I need to write a will, right? Or I need to, I, you know, there are certain things that have certain dominoes that have to fall in people's lives for them to realize they, they need a lawyer, Right. And so part of this is to is to look past what they bought, but to to get down to why they bought it. And what it is is people will say, well, they have a problem, right? Well, it's kind of a problem, but it's also an outcome. What I say is it's the context and outcome together that describe the progress they're trying to make. And so ultimately, and a lot of times we don't actually have language for it. So we reflect what we're trying to do through the product or a feature, right? Like I want a simple will. Well, why simple? It's simple because you don't want to spend money or simple because you, it's the people who have to understand it or I don't have a bunch of stuff. Like what's the simple mean? And so it's this notion of taking those words and unpacking what people mean by stuff and the intent behind it and whether it's pushing them or pulling them. And so it's that whole aspect of listening to not only what people say, but how they say it. So coming back, you, you, you mentioned that nothing's random. There's a cause for everything. Yeah. I think you talk a lot in the book about the difference between correlation, which really is kind of the bedrock of marketing, um, yes. and causation, which I think you say is much more important. In fact, the, the yep. term that you use is that, that causation is the night vision goggles, which was really resonated with me because I'm thinking that's incredibly powerful. Can you kind of, but I'm not sure I totally understand the, the difference between yep. correlation and causation. Can you maybe well, go into well, that a little bit? So the thing is, I'm 55 years old. I live in 42236. I, I, you know, have a certain income. I'm in a certain profession, but that doesn't cause me to buy the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times. It's, it, it's, it's not what causes me to do it. And so what happens is we have demographics, we have psychographics, and a lot of people will say, well, we know our customers really well. And then my question is, is so then what causes them today? to say today's the day I, I, I need a will or I need a new mattress. And what you realize is they can't answer it. And what you start to realize is we end up creating differentiation of, well, I'm an Xer, I'm on the edge of a boomer Xer, right? But I'm not a, I'm not a Gen Z, right? And it's like, well, I do things differently. I wanna buy a mattress differently. But the reality is, is we actually struggle with the same things. And so part of this is you start to realize that when you get down to causality, like the dominoes of, I don't have much time. I don't know what to do with my old mattress. The fact is, is like, I, I have these kinds of problems with it, like very specific. It doesn't matter who I am. It's more about the context I'm in. And that's what actually drives me to purchase or to buy because I, I'm in that context with, with a desired outcome. So correlation is one of those things where, so I had, a, I had, a, I had an in, uh, internship when I was 18 years old with a gentleman by the name of Dr. Deming. And he was 85 at the time. And he would, he, was, he would be, he's hard of hearing, but I didn't realize this at 18, that when he screams at you, it's just he can't hear. So he's not really screaming at me, but I thought he was. And so he'd always say like, don't ever confuse correlation and causation. They're very fundamentally different. And what causes somebody to do something is, the, is like the, the bedrock of what we want to actually understand. And so that's, that was almost like, I felt beat into me by my, some of my mentors. 
And, and so it sounds like if we're focusing on causation, if causation is really where you can get to what you need from, from the customer, from the client, it's a personalized process, right? I mean, it's not something you can just go to them and say, I've got this for you to think about because I, I, I really need to learn more about them before I can propose what my service or product look, needs to look like, right? That's right. That's right. So I've used most of this method and tools for almost 30 years on developing and launching new products. I've done about 3,500 different new products. And the thing is, is that what I started to realize is the struggling moment in most businesses is sales. And so how do we go help people sell? And what you start to realize is it's, uh, you know, we don't teach sales at business schools. Like there isn't, there. like 10 years ago, Clay and I are sitting around talking, Clay Christensen at the Harvard Business School as a colleague, and he helped me co-architect the, the jobs to be done theory. And he, he we basically said, go like, why are there no sales professors? When you talk, like you talk to anybody in business and having done seven startups myself, I realized like, holy crap, like it's the hardest thing of all. So why aren't they teaching sales at any of the business schools? And you start to realize it's like, well, it's all technique. It's all about product. It's all about. And so part of this is to say, well, what are those foundational pieces we need to have? Because at some point in time, it's, it's, it's not really an art. It can be a science. And if we understand the causation behind it and the trade-offs that people make to get it, you start to realize it's, it's actually really, it's much easier to both market and sell if you understand the progress they're trying to make. I was thinking that many years ago, I used to do estate planning. And the one thing that I ended up calling it a triggering event, but if, if uh, people were going to sign their wills, to actually sign them, the, typically the triggering event was both parents getting on the plane yeah. at the same time. Yep. And almost immediately brought people in. It was almost like you could say, if I had a relationship with travel agents, I could probably get more wills done because this was the the actual point. But, but the one thing I uh, wanted to go back to is this notion of helping. So yes. instead of selling our help, you're helping. And I, I love the notion of concierge. Uh, yeah. And so I was in the buying mode yesterday because I had a yeah. broken blender. So the, oh, yeah. the, the why is, you know, in some ways fairly straightforward but there's also a lot of complexity but i realized i would just i just really kind of wanted to have somebody kind of talk me through the options and right. and help me pick the right one instead of figuring it out myself and this is this is an important point is that like if you're just going to go buy the exact same blender you had before that's just i call that restocking that's that that's not actually kind of buying in my case in my case because I'm trying to say when people stop using one thing and start to use another. So the moment that you your blender broke and you basically made the choice to say I'm not going to just go because the easiest thing is to just go buy what you had. But the reality is the moment you say, well, maybe maybe I have to have something different. That is the struggling moment of it breaking and deciding not to take the same old thing. That's when all of a sudden this whole thing, this whole process unfolds in front of you. Like, where do you go? How do you decide? Where does it, what research do you do? What language do you use? What do they talk about blenders for? What are you going to use the blender for? Like, it just starts to come, right? And so part of this is there's an underlying aspect of I'm, my current one doesn't work, right? I, I have a certain place where I store it, right? So I either have to throw the old one out. But did you ever, did you actually try to fix the old one? No, I I didn't want to I I didn't want to do that, and uh, I also knew I wanted to, in some sense, upgrade. Uh, you know, for so, uh, for a couple of reasons. One yeah. is that my wife thinks the old one is way too loud. Too loud. What do you mean too loud? What I mean is <laughs> that when I uh, do a breakfast smoothie, yeah. it uh, she has to put her fingers in her ears. 
And do you do you not make a breakfast smoothie when she's sleeping in? I am very careful to uh, make sure the bedroom door is closed and yeah. and take extra precautions. Yeah. Yes. And then are there so that that's another, so so this is part of the thing of why you don't want to replace it. It's too loud, right? What what else? Right. What else was wrong with the old thing? It wouldn't. Uh, I wanted something. Uh, I believed I wanted something that was more powerful because I didn't think this smaller one kind of blended up. Uh, everything that I, I threw into my smoothie. So this is a perfect example. So you're you're already talking about the product, and what I want to do is I don't want to say, okay, how how powerful do you want to say? Like, what does power get you? What 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 can't you do because you don't have power? I can't put. Well, actually, my wife and I were talking about this yesterday. She said, why don't you put vegetables into your smoothies? I said, well, this one, the one I had is I feel it's underpowered and would leave things kind of stringy and wouldn't get them all blended up in the way that I want. Got it. And so had you tried that before? Yeah, there are there a number of things that I like to put into my smoothies that I just didn't feel it got off. You know, so, uh, so there's things that up. you want to add to your smoothie that you don't feel you can because then you can't drink it. Right. Got it. Okay. So this is a perfect example of unpacking from powerful and saying like, all right, we got to make the most powerful thing to understanding why I want it powerful. What is it actually supposed to do? Because in some cases, that's actually more about the blades and the blade design than it is mm-hmm. actually about the, 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 the amperage of the, the, the unit, right? And so what else? What else were you, as you started to look, what else did you see? What else did you start to, where, where did your eyes go? I talked to my friend who's like the the uh, the blender master who always goes top of line stuff, and I said, "Why would I? Should I go to the, like the top of the line stuff, or should I back off from that? And and what are the reasons?" So he told me like what the what the trade offs were, which didn't seem like much of a trade off. So I was able to go to a much lower price point. What were the trade offs? Well, it, it does come back to this notion of of. Of power, you know, like, and so when you talk about the language of the product yeah. seller, like yeah. everything is watts, and you're like, in, yeah. so I went to Target yesterday and I go, like, hmm, I have no idea the difference between 900 watt, 1000 watt, 1100 watt, 1200 watt, like, it has no meaning to me. Yeah. You know, more, more has got to be better to a point, unless it's louder, right? Right. See, see, so this is this is exactly the point, right? So at some point in time, there's trade-offs that you have to make. And it's like, uh, oh, I want it, want it really powerful, but I don't want it to wake, wake everyone. I want it to be too loud so I don't wake people up. And I don't have my wife putting her fingers in, my ear, in her ears, right? So, right? so the aspect here is that we, so in the, in the book, I talk about this process. And there's first thought, there's passive looking where you kind of you're going through your day and you're kind of like uh, uh, seeing things, but now you have a space in the brain to go like, well, maybe I should think about blenders. And now there's a blender ad on TV and you see it where before it was playing, but you actually never saw it, right? And then there's this active looking where you think about, well, I need power. I want to put more vegetables in it. I want it to be quiet. Everything is really kind of single orthogonal independent things. And then comes deciding. And deciding is actually about managing trade-offs. And at some point when you can't connect the dots of does this 1100 watt blender, which will get it, will, which will pulverize my vegetables so they're smooth enough I can drink them, but will it be too loud? Right. And then is it really overplayed? Do I need that much power? And is, is the bigger, is the bigger motor too big that I can't store it? Or, or at, at what point, how much more money is the 1100 versus the thousand? And so you start to actually make these trade offs between it. 
And you start to realize that the trade-offs sometimes are about power, but it's it's multidimensional. And so understanding what is more important than other things as you're looking at buying this thing is like, okay. And and what about price? Where was price in all this? So price was wasn't that much of a, a factor. I mean, was, we went to Target. There was one that was a candidate that was $20 off. But the I would say when it came right down to it, the, between the two I was looking at, it was the fact that in the one that I bought had uh, two cups that you could put your smoothies into, you know, in, in addition to like the bigger blender piece. And so it, it had the extra cup, uh, which I would say, and then the bigger blender made it attractive to my wife who was with me because then she could make salsa and soups and, and stuff like that. So, so some other things. So, she, so it, she would she become could, engaged in more engaged right. in device. And so all of a sudden, in some cases, you're willing to pay more for mm-hmm. something that actually has now a little bit more versatility. So now it's just not about power and it's not about the stringy vegetables. It's now about other things and applications. And so right. this is where you we start to realize as simple as buy, you think as buying a blender is, the thing is, is most people just know like, well, what's the volume? What's the number of cups? How many, like they'll put these things out there, but they have to understand as people are trying to upgrade, what are those things and what are the reference points to say, what's the next thing? And so right. part of this is like, how, do some, how does somebody decide to say, you know, I have a will, but, you know, it's time to update the will. Like, what, what are the four or five different things that are make it today's the day we have to update the will versus we have to make a will, which is different, right? That goes to your notion of, of struggling moment. But I looked at my own will and my dad's will uh, the other day. Yeah. And I think it plays into the struggling moment because I saw I needed to get in my head what was there because of COVID times and my, my daughter asking if me a while back, to- like, what was going to happen? And and I looked at it and I said, mm, it's not exactly right right now, but it's uh, it's it's close enough. It's and, good enough. Yeah. And and it's kind of a hassle to go to a lawyer. You know, so the typical things people have in a lawyer and you're thinking, do I really want to spend, you know, like three thousand dollars to make a small change when as we as humans are when it comes to estate planning you know our plan is we're going to be immortal anyway right so yep. it doesn't it doesn't well, matter well that, <laughs> so this brings up a, a really good example so when i uh, one of the things i did is i built uh, a thousand homes here in detroit uh, mostly for first-time home buyers you know divorced family with kids and then downsizers think of like your parents right and and what causes them to move right and one of the things we found was this very awkward discussion when a friend of theirs either got very sick or passed away and that they would literally go like, oh my gosh, like we need to move before, you know, we can't do this together. I don't want to have to move without you and you don't want to move without me. And we we really need to do this. Right. And so one of the things I found is one of the underlying causal mechanisms was, is that when one of their friends had passed or one of their uh, friend's spouses had passed, they look through the obituaries every single day. And so I moved my my advertising from the real estate section and talking about basically my 1,554 square foot, three be- two bedroom, two and a half bath, first floor laundry ranch condo to saying in the obituaries, I said like, time to move, need help figuring it out, give me a call. 37% hmm. increase in my traffic, <laughs> right? So it's that this crazy thing where if you understand cause, there's no correlation involved in it. That's cause when these things happen, you now start to figure out where you actually, when you need to be in front of them, as opposed to by the time they're raising their hand to buy a house, they already got it all down. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And so part of this is there's this early part of creating the space and educating themselves about what to do, like the blender, that that's where you want to be. And so part of this is understanding how people do that and why people do that, not just the product or service they're buying. So before we go to our to, to take a break for our next segment, you started talking about the six steps, but we didn't get yeah. all the way through them. So we got to oh, we, got, we got to we got to first thought, passive looking, yep. active looking, and deciding. But there's two more. There's onboarding and ongoing use. So I want to ask a That's specific right. question about those. I, using Dennis's example here, I would say you 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 would characterize buying the blender as the big hire, right? That's, that's, that's correct. Be, but then there's a bunch of little hires that are probably more important than the big hire. Can you kind of right. give it, give us an idea of what that means? The way to think about it, the big hire is buying the bottle of Windex and the little hire is spraying the bottle of Windex. Like where do you spray it and where does it work and where do you, where do you know it's going to work and where do you're not sure it's going to work, but you're going to try, right? And so part of this is that those expectations of what the blender is supposed to be doing and how well it works is set at the big hire. But the progress is actually made when he starts using the blender, right? And so he made a smoothie this morning, right? So how loud was it? It was not bad, but my, my wife was at the dentist, so uh, <laughs> we haven't done the acid test yet. That's right. But, but, but at some point in time, you know it's quite – so the re- here's the other part. The reference point of, of better is the old one. It's not all the five in the store, right? right. And so that's, that's the first part. The second part is to actually understand that – Though, though he wanted the right power and the right uh, these other pieces, what what happens is is that it, because he had to make trade offs and oh by the way, did you get the one that had the twenty dollars off or not? I got the one that was twenty dollars off. Yeah, yeah. So we'll talk about that in a little bit because again, people <laughs> think that's the reason, and it's more like I want to feel like I got more for less, and it's literally just a psychological trick at the end of the day. But right. But but the reality is like the little hires is every smoothie that he makes, and then at some point in time there becomes a new struggling moment about the smoothie. So he's got he's got three, the big uh, vessel, and then he's got two smaller vessels that that he can actually drink the smoothies in. But now where do you store all that stuff? Right, and because the last one didn't have it, and I'm just kind of assuming your kitchen is doesn't have like extra rooms. If it's like mine, it's a Rubik's cube where you you got to put everything in an exact right way to make sure it all fits. Right, and so part of it is there's new struggling moments, and so the second the the, the second half of this and the little hires is that when you start to use it, it's every innovation, every solution has basically takes care of one set of struggling moments, but usually then creates a new set of struggling moments. And so part of it is that that it's this it's this kind of domino effect that happens and so you have to be able to understand what are the new struggling moments around the blender that now that he's got the noise problem solved and he's got the uh, grittiness solving problem solved there's now going to be some new struggles what are they and that's the second half of the sale to me which is how do we actually improve the product or give them suggestions or give them new recipes for salsa or how do we actually help them with those other things though cuz his wife talked about salsa but has she ever made it before? Does she really want to do that? Like, where does she find a recipe for it, et cetera? Which ties very nicely into talking about how this applies to legal services, which we are going to explore in our next segment. But before we get there, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsors, and then we'll be back with Bob. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local, pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry, connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. 
visit www.servenow.com. Wish you could get a quote and purchase an appeal, trustee, estate, or any other court or fiduciary bond quickly online? Colonial Surety Company has every bond you need and is a direct insurer that's U.S. Treasury listed, licensed in all 50 states and territories, and rated A excellent by AM Best. So you can be confident it's a trusted resource. Get started at colonialsurety.com forward slash podcast. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And we are joined by our special guest, Bob Mesta, president and CEO of the Rewired Group and author of the new book, the great new book, uh, Demand Side Sales. Uh, Bob, let's turn and, uh, to the legal profession and the potential role of demand selling. I actually see tons of potential here. I mean, your example in the book of the business CEO who had to switch banks struck me as being extremely applicable in legal <laughs> services, especially a couple of things. But one is how easy it seems to be that if you pay attention, you can keep existing clients because they really don't want to change because it's difficult. Do you want to tell that story and, and maybe some of the lessons yeah. you drew from it? Yeah, yeah. So, so part of this is that most people say like, you know, there's really no emotion in banking. Like if you talk to people about banking, it's like, well, they, they take my deposits, I pay, I pay out checks, they run my payroll. Like there's things that they do, right? And so most people have no real emotion about it. But when you talk about people who switch banks, it's nothing but emotion, right? And so when you start to interview people and say, Why, what caused you to say today's the day that you're going to switch banks? They're just wonderful stories. Like what causes somebody to say, today's the day I'm switching lawyers, right? It's not the same reason of like, what's, what causes you to say, I have to get a lawyer. They're different, right? And so what you start to realize is in, in most cases, the, there's, there's the, the familiarity of, of the current bank, for example, in this guy's case, is that they helped him build the business and get to a certain point, but he was now getting to a point where he was trying to pivot and take the business from like uh, 20 million to 100 million, right? And as he starts, the thing is, as he starts to think about it, he doesn't want to share that with the bank because at some point the bank has basically agreed to the loan set or the set of loans that they had that were under certain premises. And as he's playing this out, the fact is this, he's starting to realize like if he plays this to the bank, the bank actually can hinder him because at some point they won't either give him the money or the fact is, is that they could they could think about basically changing the terms on the on the on the account. And so as he starts to do it and and they become more and more critical of of the cash flow and how he's running it because he's actually doubling down and investing in it. And so all of a sudden there's this this notion where it's like like I I don't know if I can actually trust my bank and nobody in some cases nothing of none of this is explicit but you can start to see the fact is, is that all of a sudden there's another bank account that's open and all of a sudden things are happening from a different bank and then all of a sudden it's like all right and what they did is they figured out a way in which to like go shop it to other people and they actually never gave a chance to the to the current bank to even look at the loan because at some point they, they felt like they were, in some cases, too conservative or the way the process they put them through in the first time, they would never buy into what they wanted to do the next time. And so part of it is that they, they pigeonholed themselves and they didn't actually understand the progress that that, that business owner, that CEO was trying to do. And, and so part of it is by actually figuring out how you can help them make progress as opposed to sell your money, sell your loans, sell your services, and and only fit into your thing. Because at some point, if it's not going to work for you, you're better off actually sending them somewhere else because they're going to go there anyway. 
And so part of this is, is when you flip the lens and figure out how to help people make progress, you actually start to realize like at some point, like I, I wasn't a builder. I was actually a mover. I helped people move from one home to another. And when I was in, I actually thought about myself as that business. I kept, I stopped thinking about all the features I had to add to my houses and the thing, the, the features I had to actually add to the entire experience, which is including moving as part of when you bought a house from us, we included moving in two years of storage right? We actually included all these different things that actually help people make the house feel like a home. And so all of a sudden you start to realize like it was all those little things that were actually way easier to do than actually making very, very unique houses. So I think that's that's the point. I think one of the things that resonates with me about that story is, is really when the new banks came in to pitch their business that two of the banks were immediately excluded where two of them sort of hit the nail on the head. Can you kind oh, yeah. of talk about the differences in yeah, approach yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that got to that point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and this this actually had, comes true in a lot of cases where you start to realize is the first thing is, is so four banks came in, two banks literally walked in and said, look, this is who we are. This is what we do. This is you know who we work with. This is how much money we have. You know, We can do this for you. And just basically said, here's the menu of things to pick from us, right? But two other banks basically came in and said, like, like, we need to understand your business. What are you trying to do? Where are you trying to go? You know, why are you not doing this? Why are you doing that? And in some cases, stress testing to understand the business. And the, the CEO was like, I had two people who really cared about my business or at least cared enough to ask questions about it as opposed to lump me in with a biotech uh, uh, firm or, or with a, you know, uh, an engineering company or like they, uh, most people just put us in the wrong spot because they don't take time to learn from us. The second thing though, was you started to hear things like, well, you know, they were curious about the business and they gave me options. What's interesting is, is in the process of how people buy is options actually help them understand what they want. And when you don't give options, it's either us or nothing. People will literally go find options so they can actually bounce it against it so they can make those trade-offs. And so these two companies came back and started to offer options and basically do different things to help them get involved. But the bigger part was you started to realize like, so how did you, you know, how'd you pick this one? Well, well, I could trust this person. I'm like, okay, you've been with this previous bank for 15 years and now you're with this, you're, you're, you, you've met somebody three times and you trust them. What, what, what happened to cause trust? And they could literally state it right straight out. Like one is they listened to about my business. They gave me options. At some point in time, they were responsive, but not too responsive. I said, what does that mean? They're like, well, they're not sitting around waiting for me. Right. And it's like, at some point they got back to me within a reasonable amount of time. They always had an answer that, that was there. And ultimately they said no to me on something. I'm like, what do you mean? It's like, well, I wanted to push the limits on a something and as uh, two or three things. And they said, well, no, if that's what you want to do, then we're not the, the bank for you. And the moment that they could tell me, no, I knew they were my bank. And I'm like, wow. And it turns out that they paid a higher rate and a higher closing rate <laughs> than anything anywhere else. But they knew that they could trust these people to actually help them grow the business. It's a trade-off, yep. And they're, and they're willing to pay for it. That's the other part is most people don't realize like nobody takes the, everybody takes the lowest loan. Everybody's trying to, of course, everybody wants the $20 off. They're like, if you're going to offer $20, i will take it. Right, but the but at the same time, the fact is, is, if if I can't tell the difference between this one and that one, and I get twenty dollars off, I'll take it every time. It's like mom and apple pie, but that's not what why you buy. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting because I was uh, in-house counsel at, at MasterCard for a, a good number of years, and and so much of what you were just saying, and in the bank example, just resonates with that. You know, like the law firms that come in and they tell you what you think, what they think you need, and how what their legal services, how they fit the yep. MasterCard business, and they fundamentally misdescribe the MasterCard business. I mean, yep. like they just show that they don't understand it. To the point where you go, I'm never going to hire them for anything. <laughs> and then there are these small things that add up, like over the 15 years. You know, yep. it's like it's almost like they're microaggressions. You know, yes, like, yes. You get didn't return the call on time. I, you know, I told them I only wanted to spend ten thousand dollars, and they ran up a fifty thousand dollar bill. Right. Those kinds of 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 things. So I, I was just kind of curious what you've seen, if anything, in the the legal profession that you might uh, want to share with our audience. So I think, uh, so I, I always have weird analogies, but, but like, so one of them to me is like, if you think of Casper, which is the, the mattress maker, right? They basically have uh, come out of nowhere and in less than five years built a billion dollar mattress company, a billion dollars, right? And they have no showrooms, right? They have, and for the most part, everything was done online. They're now moving where they have some stuff at some larger retail stores, but for the most part, it's all been online. And the reality is, is that at some point in time, they knew how bad it was to buy a mattress, to walk into an empty store with one person in it and 40 mattresses and go like, okay, we're going to pick one. I was like, I don't know if I really need it. I don't know like how to pick. I don't know what the, you know, and eventually people just end up buying the one they can afford, the best one they can afford. But, you know, Casper is asking questions like, you know, do you stick your leg out at night, right? <laughs> Like, why is that relevant? Well, it turns out that you're probably hot. So when you stick your leg out, you're actually trying to cool off. So that means you actually probably need some cooling in the mattress. And so they can ask you questions because they understand the detailed causality of what causes you to do it. So here's the thing is that my belief is that for the most part, complicated law is, for most lawyers, I would think the fun law, right? It's, it's, the, it's, it's at the high end of the market, right? But this low end of the market where, where you've got people who can actually learn on their own or basically do things on their own, the fact is, is like legal zoom, right? Those mm -hmm. kinds of aspects. The problem is, is that they're actually not helping people make progress as much as they want. And so part of this is actually realizing what does that low end really look like and how do you actually change your business model to actually service a little of that low end? Because at some point in time, Though, though you make, if you make mattresses, the fact is, is now most mattress companies are making mattresses in a bed or ma mattresses in a box and shipping. And so my aspect is, is what are the things that you actually, who are people who want to actually use a lawyer, but actually don't even know how to engage? We call that non-consumption. Where do people want a new mattress, but they really don't know how to buy a mattress? And so you start to realize that most people wait way too long to buy a mattress. My belief is people wait way too long to get a lawyer. Because they actually don't, they only think they need a lawyer when they're in trouble. And they don't think of lawyers as, as somebody who to, to prevent trouble or to actually organize the things before trouble happens. There's a stat out there in the legal profession that 80% of the people who uh, need to use lawyers, and we'll say need to use lawyers, can't afford them. But I think that, uh, as you just mentioned, I think a large, large percentage of that is people who don't know how to, how or when right. to engage lawyers. That's right. And what I would say is the majority, and this is just my my experience, is most lawyers treat me like I'm a 10-year-old, 
right? And and they try to explain, you know, I'm I'm a pretty sophisticated businessman. I've done a lot of different things. And the, the reality is like, they take my time so much. They, they don't adjust their conversation to who I am. They just have a standard way of doing it. So I now have a lawyer that I've had for probably seven or eight years, but I probably would go through a new lawyer almost through every contract because it was just so painful. And so you start to realize like in some way, I need a lawyer, but the reality is like, I need somebody who's who actually understands my business and understands what progress I'm trying to make. And that though I probably need a 47 page document, you know, two pages is enough to get started. And then this is how we're going to proceed. And so the, the aspect is, is how you actually understand the progress I want to make is more important than the fact is, is what is the, 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 the correct legal response over the entire point in time versus like, I just want to get started. And so it's a very interesting thing where I think that there's a lot of things where people are, are should use a lawyer. They actually have a thought about a lawyer, but they actually don't know what to do with it. And with that, we're out of time. So uh, that that's I, I think there's a whole access to justice question there that we might want to yes. invite Bob back for another hour to talk about. But before we head on to the end, Bob, we want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. Can you um, let our audience know where people can buy your book, where they can learn more yep. about you, get in contact with you if you want? As everything, it's on Amazon, uh, and it's under Demand Side Sales 101, and it's just uh, the framework on helping stop selling and helping people make progress. It's a hardcover, softcover, Kindle, and will be audible by the end of the end of October. You can find me on LinkedIn, Bob Mesta, M-O-E-S-T-A. Um, you can go to bobmesta.com, or you can go to the Rewired Group, is uh, the small design firm that I use, or that I, I run where we develop products and help people build new markets. So thank you so much, Bob. It was, it was great. Now it's time for our parting shots at one tip, website, or observation. You can use the second this podcast ends. Bob, you want to start us off? Yeah. So I have, I, I was talking with Clay about uh, five or six years ago, and he talked about what was my greatest innovation. And I'm like, I have no idea. Like, I don't think that way. He goes, yeah, but no, I got a context for you. You're dead. You're on the pearly gates, and there's a list. What's on the top of the list that's going to get you into heaven? I'm like, oh, wow, that's that's hard. And so first thing I'm like, well, the Patriot Missile Guidance System, it's it was amazing and it's great, but like I'm not sure that's going to get me into heaven. And I worked on Pokemon Mac and Cheese, and oh, that's really delicious, but I don't think that's good enough to get me into heaven. And I kind of searched around, and it all kind of went back to back in 19, uh, 1987 to 1992. I worked for Ford Motor Company, and one of the struggling moments that I I, I conquered was uh, – I basically, uh, every time I'd rent a car, I wouldn't actually know where, which side of the car the gas tank filler cap was on. And so I actually helped build or design the, the arrow on the gas tank. And so half the people are like, oh my gosh, I know what you're talking about. The other half are like, like when you go to look at your, your gas gauge, there's a little triangle that points you to the side that the filler cap is on. And that is where you basically know what, where, where, where to pull up for your car so you don't have to remember it. And, and that is officially the best parting shot we have ever had on the show because I use that arrow constantly. And, uh, and it's just amazing. All right, so my, my parting shot very quickly is an update for our listeners on how I am using the ReadWise app as part of my Second Brain project. And I'm going to use it as part, uh, talk about it in terms of, of this discussion. I bought Bob's book last week. I read it. I was highlighting. I was taking notes. 
because it was connected to Readwise, all I had to do was open up. I'm keeping my notes now in Notion. I just had to open up Notion. All of my highlights, all of my notes had been automatically synced over there. I didn't have to worry about the stuff I wasn't taking notes on. It was all there ready for me to then further highlight, to further summarize, to really drill down on what I wanted to talk, what we wanted to talk to Bob about during the podcast. It was so simple and easy. It was automatic. I cannot recommend Readwise enough as a note-taking and progressive summary tool, and I've gone to the eight, $9 a month subscription price to have it. I think it's a fantastic tool. We'll listen for it more on future podcasts. Wow. So I'm uh, a little bit of self-promotion today. Uh, so I've put up my new Mighty Network site called the Kennedy Idea Propulsion Laboratory Community. And uh, as part of that, I've created a new online course about personal quarterly offsites, which we have discussed on this podcast before, which basically you take some time to yourself about, I just do a half a day at the end of each quarter and spend some time on the important but not urgent category. And uh, so I, I just did that and kind of set out my priorities for the rest of the year and came up with a really cool technique that I'm going to try to eliminate all these little tiny things that, that are always nagging me and on my list from time to time and just see if I can knock out one of them a day as long as it takes 15 minutes to 45 minutes. And so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Network's page for this podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts along with transcripts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, remember you can reach out to us on LinkedIn or remember we love to get voicemail for our second segment. So that voicemail number is 720-441-6820. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.